preach on, uh, I've been touching on it off and on, and I, I just, this has been something that has been weighing on me for so long. And uh, I know that through a lot of ministers throughout the United Pentecostal Church, it has been a, it's been a point of contention. It has been an area where a lot of people tend to disagree. But one thing's for sure. If we do not, if we do not maintain our separation from the world, we will not make it to heaven. And regardless of how you think and how people may not like this, it is still the truth. And um, I know that some people think that I'm a traditionalist. If listening and being obedient to the Word of God is traditional, then yes, that's what I am. Because God's Word has not changed, and it will not change. And the doctrine of separation is something that we must have. You know, the question comes up, why bother? Who cares anyway? And your answer, or the answer as always, for the church is God's book and always is the answer for us. And 1 Corinthians 6.19, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 6.17 in a moment, but 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? And verse 20 says, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I want you to notice something in that scripture. God asks a key, a key question here. Are you His or not? That's the question. We've been bought by Calvary's blood. Therefore, it says glorify Him in both spirit and in body. After the new birth, you are no longer your own. You become God's property. You belong to Him. A lot of people say that the greatest hurdle to growth is the issue of personal sovereignty. In other words, personal freedom, doing what you want to do, doing whatever feels good for you. But I want you to notice what Paul says concerning this issue. 1 Corinthians 7.22 He that is, for he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Verse 23 says, Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. In other words, you no longer have personal sovereignty when you belong to Jesus Christ. You have to make up your mind at the new birth. What's important to me? If I'm His, then I have no free will, if you please. You have no free will. We use our free will to give ourselves to God. And one thing's for sure, you will give yourself to something in this life. You will not go through life without dedicating yourself to either God or to the worldly uh, system that is out there which is dictated to by the devil. You will belong to one or the other. So your free will, it leads you or should lead you in the right direction, and that is serving Jesus Christ. 
And if it does, then you no longer belong to yourself. You can't just decide I'm going to do this one day and the next day decide you're going to do something different. Because if you do before long, you no longer know what's right or wrong. You have to make up your mind what's important. Second Corinthians six seventeen and 18. If you would bring it up behind me. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And I want you to note, I'm going to come back to that, uh, especially, well, both scriptures, but especially this one. And I'm going, to, I'm going to just bring this out now. And will be a father unto you. When will he be a father unto you? He'll be a father unto you when you come out from among them and become separate. You cannot call him father unless you have separated yourself. And that is separation of both body and spirit. It's not a matter, again, of making a decision. Well, I'm just going to, my my spirit, I love God, and I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do. God knows my heart. If God knows your heart, which He does know your heart, then you need to know your heart as well. You You cannot serve God in your spirit and let yourself, your body, do whatever it wants to do. They're both interchangeable, my friend. Whatever the Spirit is, the body's going to do, and vice versa. The doctrine of separation is one of the most prominent doctrines of the entire Bible. And it is difficult to distinguish the concept of the church from the doctrine of separation. Follow me very closely. Because the words church and separation are interchangeable words. The New Testament Greek word, ecclesia, translated church, means to summon forth, to show the church as the called out or separated assembly. That is what the word church actually means. The church is called out, not in a restricted sense. We're not restricted by being separate. I am not restricted in one in any way whatsoever by being separate. But rather, I am in a position to be blessed by God. And I can prove that to you scripturally. When I am separated from the world, then I am in a position that God can bless me. And also to receive the promises of God by coming out of the world system. Now, somebody may think separation and holiness preaching is uh, old-fashioned. And if, if that is how you feel, I, I want to help you with something because I assure you 100% that it is old-fashioned. It is very old-fashioned. Separation may be the oldest doctrine of the Bible. Separation didn't start with some red-eyed, redneck fanatic. I don't get red-eyed. I may a little bit redneck occasionally, but I'm not red-eyed. And it didn't start there. Uh, when you use the term fanatic, it means unchangeable. And I guess if you want to accuse me of being unchangeable, yes, I am. So maybe I'm a bit fanatical, but I'm not a red-eyed redneck. So it didn't just start a little while ago with someone like that. It started in the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis. The message of separation began when God called. And when God called initially in the 11th chapter of Genesis, He called Terah out of the earth of the Chaldees. 
Abraham was actually called in the 12th chapter. Originally, it was Abraham's father, Terah, that was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And the father of Abraham. God wanted him to separate himself, not because he just wanted Terah to be different or to suffer, or not to have the conveniences of the world system he lived in, but God called him out and separated him so he might bless him and smile upon him and bestow favor on him. Whenever God calls you out of the world, it's not just to, to, to be mean to you and so you can enjoy all the, the wonderful things in the world. He wants to bless you and to bestow good things on you. I talked to a man just before service, and he knows who he is, but he made a wonderful statement. Now, uh, you know, he said, I, he said I, I, I can't, uh, he said, it's hard for me to watch television anymore. He said, it just gets into my spirit. Well, wow, isn't that wonderful? You know? Yeah, I may come back to this, but I want to tell you something about new people when they first come in and get the Holy Ghost. When they begin to separate and they get their nose in the Word... They begin to see what the world system does. It's not the new people we got problems with. It is the old folks. It's those 20-year veterans that all of a sudden the world starts looking good to them again. They forgot what God called them out of. They forgot that initial blessing. They forgot that initial feeling. They forgot. What going back and tasting the world, the conviction that used to come in their hearts. They harden themselves. New folks, when they feel the, the wonder and the beauty of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, when they begin to re feel that and understand the power of it all, then all of a the sudden they, they begin to see the world in, the, in its true light. But the devil has a way, a way of blinding you. And I'll be the first to say, say this, it's more than just television, it's the, it's the system in itself. Anything that the world is, when it begins to, to pull at you and begins to fill your spirit and begin to fill your mind with something that is not there, whether it be books, music, or whatever it may be, when it begins to do that, then it, it starts separating you back away from God and pulling you back into the system that God pulled you out of. So it's, it's, it's the same way with Terra. Now, Terra. He went halfway. He went to Haran, and there he died. But Abraham, his son, received the same call his father received and set out to answer that call in the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. There, and there we're, we're given the first illustration in the Bible of the doctrine of separation. And it is an old-fashioned fashioned doctrine, but let's understand it is a relevant today or is as relevant today as it ever has been. It is as relevant to the church of the living God in this day as it was to the father of the faithful Abraham. It it is still right today. And as surely as God blessed Abraham, he intends to bless his church. He did not call us out of the world and make us separate and distinct people merely because he finds pleasure in us being disdained by the world. He didn't do that. We're called out so God can bestow a multitude of his blessings and favor upon us as God's people. I, I've, often, I've often thought how much God could do for his people if we could truly walk away from the system of this world and truly be able, yes, we have to live in it, yes, we have to work in it, but in our minds and our hearts be able to separate ourselves so completely. And, and you, I brought this up, but I, I finally, I've told you this before, I finally have gotten out where I don't read a newspaper only on Saturday and Sunday. 
I'm breaking myself off of it. I picked it up on last Saturday, and the first thing I saw was a guy that causes me to have my blood pressure to go up. I hadn't read it in, in, in weeks, and the first thing I read was this guy that makes my blood pressure sore. So I knew the devil was using the newspaper. Birds use newspapers. Devils use newspapers. Cats use newspapers. Dogs, you know. So why you might as well put it all together. So, so I'm saying it. You're saying, you're saying the, the newspapers wrong? No, I'm not saying newspapers wrong. I'm saying whatever affects your faith. You know, you might be able to go through life and, and endure some of these things and, and continue to, to go, but, but yet like Smith, Smith Wigglesworth, he didn't read a newspaper. He didn't read anything that affected his faith. He kept his nose in the Word of God. How many more miracles could we see if we didn't have something out there in that world system constantly eroding our faith? Separation, and I know, maybe I'm being a, a bit much right now, but at the point what I'm saying is that not only do we need to be separate and holy in order for us to make it to heaven, but we need to be separated so the world doesn't constantly pull our faith down. Uh, surely, uh, uh, let, let, me, let, let, me, let me take this just a little bit further here. Let me... We're called out so, again, God can bestow a multitude of blessings and favor upon us as, as God's people. But not only is this lesson in the book of Genesis, it, it is also found in the book of Exodus. So we see Genesis' separation uh, with Terah and, and Abraham, and we see it in the book of Exodus as well. As a matter of fact, uh, the very title of the book gives us the lesson. Uh, well, just for instance, you look down here on either side, you're going to see two exit signs. Now, now, what does that mean? That means you come in that way, correct? Is that right? Exit. Like Exodus. Children of Israel was called out. Exit means you go out. That's what it means. So you see these exit. Uh, and and they're, not putting, they're not put there to show people the way to come in. They're placed there for people to know the way out. And just as there is a way out of this building, there's a way out for Abraham, and there is a way out for every man and woman on this planet today. God's objective is to bring us out of the world system so he might bestow his favor upon us. Now, the instruction given to Moses on Mount Sinai and then passed along to the nation of Israel were not intended to be burdensome requirements and, and regulations. Instead, they positioned Israel to receive the multitude of God's blessings. You must understand that when the, when the Hebrews came out of Egypt after being slaves for 400 years, now you, keep, you watch this, for 400 years they were slaves. They did not know how to be a people. If you've been a slave, your generation after four generations, maybe more than five generations of people had been slaves. They do not know how to be a people. So what did God have to do with them? He had to go uh, take them to Sinai. He had to take Moses up on Sinai and begin to give them rules of, of how to live. Uh, you know, he, had to, he had to give them instructions that affected every part of their life and living. They learned how, to, how and what to eat. They learned how to dress and what to wear and what not to wear. God's plan was not simply to make them different for the sake of being different. They were a chosen people, the people whom God loved. They were the lineage of Abraham, and God wanted to fulfill 
fulfill the promise that he had made to, to Abraham. Now, Abraham, I've given you promises. You can read the Abrahamic covenant. You can see the promises that God made to Abraham. He wanted to pass this on to Abraham's lineage. But in order to do that, these people had to be separated. And they had been 400 years in Egypt. And I don't have to tell you that Egypt is a type and shadow of what the world is. And when you've lived in the world all your life and you come out of the world into the church, you have to be instructed on how to live. You want the blessings of God, you have to separate yourself and you have to understand what it's like to live. I know you know, no one's trying to be mean in this, but you have to understand what constitutes God's blessings. How do I get out of the pull of this world? When I came to God, I did not want the world to have a hold on me any longer. I was sick of what the world had done to me. Many of you in here tonight were sick of what the world was doing to you. You were sick of the drugs, the tobacco. The, the, you were sick of, of the alcohol. You were sick of the, of the lifestyle that you were living that had absolutely was taking you nowhere. You were tired of it. But somehow you had to learn how. You just don't come into the church and get the Holy Ghost and this, everything is poured in you all at once. You have to learn, you have to understand, you have to digest. And that's important, but you have to constantly, it's not something that you do immediately, it's something that you begin to work on. And as God opens your eyes through the preaching of the Word or through, uh, through just the, the, the teaching, whatever it may be, when He opens your eyes, you don't go back to what you know that God is trying to pull you out of. You, you begin to digest that and you put it in your spirit and you pull away and you begin to see God's blessings as a result of it. And you, and in the next phase, in the next step, it's a, it's a constant, uh, constant change. We grow, the Bible says, in grace and in truth. So many today in Christianity want us to believe that separation is no longer a relevant message. And, and I hope to show you that it is a relevant message. The concept of holiness is a, a basic tenet of Scripture. Just as the doctrine of separation begins in Genesis and continues through Exodus on through the bloodline of Jesus Christ into the New Testament to the day of Pentecost and then on to our, our personal deliverance, the doctrine of separation is taught, experienced, and believed. And in his vision, Isaiah saw the seraphim crying to one another, and I Isaiah 6, 1 and 2, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. If you want to know what kind of God then that we're serving, we are serving a holy God. God is holy. And without holiness, the Bible says, no man shall see God. In order for me to see God, I have got to be holy. I have got to be separate. I have to be distinct. I have to be a part of the church, which is a separated, distinct people. I must do that in order for me to be saved. You have to describe him not, not, not as a holy God. And the reason that he shed his blood and the reason he was born in Bethlehem's manger, manger and, the, and the reason he qualified as a sacrifice for all of our sin is that he is holy and he wants us to be a holy people. Our enemy's intent is to spread the mistaken idea that disciplines will cause the gospel to be less attractive. That is a lie. That is a lie. If there are one billion Muslims on the face of the earth and their women dress the way that they dress, then my goodness, don't tell me that disciplines are not right. Everything that matters in life has discipline with it. Everything. 
One of the things I'm going to do some leadership teaching on is, is, uh, is disciplines. Lori asked me of that, and, and ethics, and Eldar asked me. I haven't forgotten. I don't forget important things. You know, th- these are areas that, that, that people have to understand and know. You know, we, if we want God to, to really work in our lives, we have to discipline ourselves. That's why we encourage prayer. Prayer is a discipline. That's why we encourage fasting. Fasting is a discipline. Worship is a discipline. Whenever I see a church that no longer worships, then I know they've let a discipline out of their life. They've released it. You know, it's not just a bunch of frantic emotionalism when you come in and you begin to worship God. You worship God because you love God, and it is a discipline to love God. It's a discipline in all of our lives to maintain a loving relationship that we need to. And don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. It is a discipline. You know, it, uh, where holiness, where holiness and lifestyle, thought and deed and behavior is preached and practiced, there is a spiritual climate. I remember um, some time ago, I talked to a, a person who was trying to get out of holiness and separation but find worship and uh, our salvational message. They wanted to find this without any of the rest. So they went and they, they visited some churches. And they came back and they said, we just cannot find what we feel here. And I said, well, I wonder why. I mean, you go to churches who just, what is, whatsoever will be, will be. They choreograph their dancing along the front in miniskirts. All the men love those churches. And yet you, you, you expect a spiritual climate. You don't have a spiritual climate unless you have separation from a worldly climate. It won't happen. You create a spiritual climate through holiness and separation from the world. And you can't realize it any other way. You cannot manufacture spiritual climate with the choir. You can't. We love the choir, but you can't manufacture a spiritual climate that way. You can't manufacture it with a choir. You can't sing it, bring it, bring it into existence. Nothing comes, nothing that comes from the mind of man will give birth to a spiritual climate. That comes when people live and practice and where the doctrine of holiness is preached. People want to be in a spiritual climate. It attracts them. They want to come and be a part of that. And that that's, that's part of it. And it troubles me when I, when I hear people talk about doctrine, and they're referring only to our belief and convictions on the new birth and the revelation of the oneness of God and our Acts 2.38 experience. They call that our doctrine. Then they call our lifestyle standards. That is not true. I want to say that again because I know you probably didn't hear what I just said. You cannot separate our doctrine of salvation from our doctrine of separation because salvation enacts separation. And if it's not, then you're missing something. 
Now, now think. Think a minute. The doctrine of separation is not only a doctrine of the church, it is the purpose of the gospel. It is not an additional doctrine to embrace. It is the purpose of Acts 2.38. It is the purpose of our salvational experience to separate us. Back, I was trying to think who said it. It was one of the... Um, one of our well-known preachers, but that's been back several years ago, and made a statement that, uh, that someone that he knew was uh, active in demonology was the church of, of Satan, and he, he was familiar with this guy, knew him. He actually had talked to him a few times, uh, and he said that, that he, actually, he went and had lunch with him, and he was practicing in the church of Satan. And he told him, he said, he said and I, I cannot remember the preacher at this time, but I remember these words. He said, when he sat down and talked to him, he said, I want you to tell me, this, this minister did, he said, I want you to tell me what about our church, about the, uh, about the Pentecostal church, really upsets the satanic church. And the man made this statement. He said, it is not just your tongues, nor just your baptism. It is your separation. He said, that's what scares the devil. And now think about it. The baptism in Jesus' name separates us. The Holy Ghost and repentance separates us. And for you to take that, that, that area that severs, it's the knife that severs us from the world. And then go back to living like the world. Then I have to doubt what you have in your salvational experience. Now, I realize that some of this has to grow, and you have to embrace it as it comes along. But there's something that should be birthed inside of your spirit that makes you want to pull away from what the world is doing to you, or has done to you. When Israel came out of Egypt, they came first of all through the Red Sea. And Paul wrote, they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, representing one of the most beautiful types given to us of water baptism and spirit baptism. He didn't distinguish two baptism. He said there is one baptism that has two dimensions, the baptism of the water and the baptism of the spirit. Baptism in the cloud and baptism in the sea. And that was the path out of Egypt. And thank God, somebody preached a new birth to us. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you th- I am thankful that somebody could stand up and preach the new birth to me. What does it take for me to be saved? I am thankful for that. We all need to be. Thank God we experienced a new birth in our lives. Thank God we repented of our sins and were baptized in the water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. And we were filled with the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. But I tell you, that, that that's only the way out. The path to get us out of sin and out of the world system. And to say we believe Acts 2.38 and rejoice in the doctrine of the new birth, but do not rejoice in the doctrine of separation is to say we rejoice over the good news about salvation, but we don't rejoice over the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is to bring us out of the world, to get it off of us, to get it out of us, and to get us away from it. That's what the purpose of the gospel is. What other reason would there be 
that, that good news. What good news? It is the way to get out of a system, a way to get out of the world, to get away from the devil. It is the way for you to be saved. That's what he was trying to let us know. That is the whole purpose of the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Lost where? Out in a worldly system. And I'm not afraid to tell you, I'm not afraid at least to tell you that I am not the least bit comfortable with this world. I do not fit into this world. I don't think like this world thinks. And the older I get, the less I think like this world thinks. And the more that I'm away from the world, the more things crop up that I don't understand that some of these young people come and tell me about and try to get away with. I'm not, I'm not proposing to learn about the world so I can keep up with the younger ones. It won't work. <laughs> I can't put new wine into old wine bottles. <laughs> I don't want to swell up and bust. I don't like the world. I don't relate to it. I come out from it. I'm trying to, I, I, I'm, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to, I'm trying to preach to somebody tonight. I'm trying to get across to you tonight that this world is not your home. That this world has nothing. And the more you pull away from it, the more blessings you're going to find in the presence of God. The more you're going to find that is great about our God, the more that you pull away from this worldly system. Now, that's a promise. That is a promise. And I said this a little earlier. earlier new converts don't, do not resist lifestyle changes. They are they're so thankful for their salvation experience, that they are anxious to learn whatever they can, uh, whatever they can do that might please God the most. And if they need to, to dress differently when it is explained to them appropriately, they receive it gladly. And when they are taught from God's Word in such a way that they understand, they are willing to make any adjustments because the, they, they desire the blessings in the favor of God. That's what I did when I came out of the world. I desired the blessings in the favor of God. And I received that. As a result of pulling away from the world. And unfortunately, the resistance to separation from the world seems to come from those who've been in the church a longer time. And sometimes those people are preachers. And over the years, preachers or saints that had neglected their prayer life, church attendance, or forgotten the evil pit from where they were dug, don't ever forget where you came from. Don't ever forget where you came from. Ever so often when you think you begin to get into the the uh, the uh, economy of the church, if you would, the, the way things are done. I know how to shout at the right time. I know when Rob's going to say, let's lift our hands, and I get it done ahead of time. You know, when you just begin to do it like a robot, don't forget where you came from. Because when you think back of where you came from, then all of a sudden it's not a matter of somebody up here trying to get you to do it. You just do it automatically because you're so thankful that God pulled you out of the mess that you were in. You're so thankful that God did for you what He did for you. You're so thankful that you spoke in tongues down here at this altar. You're so thankful that you went down in the wonderful name of Jesus. You're so thankful that the world no longer has a hold on you. And this world isn't your home any longer. That you truly are just passing through. Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. 
I, I want to say this to all of us. We need, in this last day, to draw strength from one another. We need to uplift one another. We don't need to be pulled down and see this gospel message devalued because people are trying to have revival without having revival. And if you don't understand what I just said, it's having growth without having true revival. It's not a matter of just letting people in for the sake of saying, I've got this many in Sunday school or this many on a Sunday night. It's a matter of seeing people come in and seeing their lives change. You know, this, this past Sunday night, seeing this young lady receive the Holy Ghost down here, that's what it's all about for me. That's what it's all about. It's not a matter of having people sit on a pew and never being convicted, never being changed. There's something wrong with the spiritual climate of a church when that happens. You know, that's a matter that we draw strength. I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to let a few carnal people pull me away. Are you hearing me? Pull me away from what's really important. This gospel is a gospel of separation. It pulls me out of the world. Again, I come to you, give you this verse, come out from among them, be you separate and touch not the unclean thing, I will receive you. The next verse reads, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. He didn't say that when you get baptized, when you receive the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, I will receive you. He said when you come out, then I become your father, and you become my sons and daughters. Don't tell me preaching old-time holiness and separation is not important. It is vital, necessary, essential, and imperative. And you have to be, it has to be preached. That's what I'm doing tonight. And I, I feel more and more that it has to be done. It has to be done. God help us. I feel like there's a true revival. I think that cycle is coming around. I believe the people that are in churches that are letting down are going to begin to see it again and are going to begin to look for some place, somewhere that still preaches it. It's not a matter of churches that are preaching the true message, losing people. It's a matter that they're going to start coming back to that because this truly, we are counting down to the rapture of the church. Why in the world would I want to let down now when it is so close to the end? The Bible repeatedly instructs instructs us not to love this world. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. But 1 John 3.15 says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The difference is John 3.16 is referring to people. God gave His only begotten Son for people. The The world, humanity. But when He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, He's talking about the ungodly world system that wants you to conform or it wants to conform you to itself. Paul said it wants to force you into its mold. It wants to cause you to dress like they dress, talk like they talk, believe what they believe, go where they go, and do what they do. And how can we toy with it? How can we flirt with it? There there has got to be a line of demarcation that is clearly drawn in every congregation by every man and woman of God. Would you please help me with this? Would you help me with this? What I'm saying is... Can you not see your personal need to be separate from the world and not just base it on what I preach? Did you not get that? It doesn't matter. I'll split hell wide open if I don't preach it. But you'll split hell wide open if you read it and don't do it. It's not a matter of me not preaching it or preaching it. 
It's a matter of knowing it is right, reading it, and believing it and doing it. I get so weary with hearing people, well, I'm going to go over here where they don't preach it. Is that that's going to excuse you? I don't know. I'd like to just say what I'd like to say, but I'm not going to say it because I know I'll offend somebody, and I don't want to be an offense because I'll get in trouble if I'll be an offense. But I just never could understand why people are the way they are. And you know why? Why that they want to... Well, they, you know, knowing something, if you once known it, it's better to not know the way of truth. The Bible says it's better not to know the way of truth than to have known it and turned back. The Bible speaks of the old landmarks. That means there has to be some old landmarks. If there's old landmarks... That means there's something that we have to hang on to. We don't just throw out the baby with the bathwater. We don't do that. Just in order uh, for us to be able to do. I, I just, I know, I, I just, I've said it before, and I know you get weary of hearing me say it. My wife says, you're getting older, you're repeating yourself more and more. It's not because I've got something wrong with me. It's just because I just get, I just get something in my crawl, and it's just hard to get it out. Well, it never gets out. It just keeps coming out, coming out. It's regurgitation, you know. It's... You either love God, you don't love God. You either serve God, you don't serve God. You're either separated from the world, you might as well go out and live in it. Try to be kind. Okay. Mm. We could, if we wanted to, go to the UPC manual. That's another thing that gets me. I always believed that when you signed something, you made a vow. I put my name to something that was good. So when I got my license of the UPC, that meant that I abide by it. Now, if they start changing going the other way, then I'll take my name off of it. But I'm not going to keep them if I don't agree with them. Is that good preaching? Okay. Whether or not God is our Father depends on if we have come out from the world and separated ourselves. The very reason that we're born again and experience the Acts 2.38 is to become this great royal priesthood the Bible speaks of about. You know, I know we have diverse interpretation of Scripture. And please do not allow that as an excuse to be weak. I, I, how I feel about it. Times demand men and women of God with strong convictions who say, world, it doesn't matter how far afield you go, we're not moving. Not moving one more inch. I'm not. I cannot move one more inch. I really want revival. And I know that ever so often in order to have true heaven-sent revival, you have to go back and reestablish foundations all over again. Doctrine is important. You know, it's not something we throw out. I am separate. We are distinct. I do not dress like a woman. I don't know. I thought about it. Robertson is a Scottish name. I could wear a kilt. I keep it right below my knees. Right? You could love my nice... I shaved my legs. What's the matter, Rob? Don't you think that's a good idea? I tell you what, you think I make a... I wore a nice... wear my right plaids, of course. 
You stop and think about it. And, and, and that's, that's what Deuteronomy 22 and 5 says. You know, we don't cross-dress. Thou shalt not cross-dress. You read it, and you can definitely put that interpretation there. Is that not correct? Yeah? And I won't shave my legs. I think you ought to see them. All their hairy beauty. I'm not going to move one inch. I promise you that'll never happen. <laughs> we cannot compromise one more thing, folks. We cannot. Our salvation and the salvation of our children and their children depend upon the strength and the depth of our convictions about these matters. Are you hearing me? And I realize, and I'll be the first one to say it, I know we've got new people in here, and I know you have to grow in the grace and in truth. I realize that. And I'm certainly never pushing or trying to be mean when it comes to that. But when you embrace something, embrace it completely. And find out that God, you'll find out that God will bless you every step of the way when you do. And as a preacher of the gospel, we must make up our minds. All of us that are preachers, that we are not going to be afraid of the faces of those who are pushing to be more like the world. You know, don't be mean or harsh or get the wrong spirit. And may God give all of us a fresh determination that says, I'm going to preach the doctrine of holiness and separation like I never have before. And that's how I feel. That's how I feel because this is biblical. I can't stand up here and preach to you Acts 2.38. I can't stand up here and preach to you about faith. I can't come up here and preach to you about the end times or any other uh, teaching of the Scripture without preaching to you all the Scripture that pertains to separation and holiness. How can you? I don't know. I don't understand how some people have anything to preach. If you don't preach at all, how do you do you just tear out whole sections of the Bible? And we're the first ones to, to jump on denominations and say, how do you get around the book of Acts? But yet we see some of the people who preach the book of Acts who will not preach out of the epistles. The epistles tell you how to live. The letters written to the churches. We don't want to be told how to live. We want the joy of the Holy Ghost. But you can't have the complete joy of the Holy Ghost unless you're separated from the world. Let's stand. You're probably getting the foretaste of many things to come. We are going to be solid on the doctrine. Solid. Because this world certainly is pulling us just as much as it possibly can. And I, I, can't, I can't be pulled. I have an obligation. One thing people forget sometimes that a minister, a pastor, is going to stand accountable for those people that he preaches to. I don't want to stand before God and know that I've not preached it enough. I don't. My greatest desire is to see everybody in this place make it to heaven. That's always been my greatest desire. And I also don't want to find myself a castaway like Paul spoke of. Having preached to others, I find yourself a castaway, and I certainly uh, don't. I want to preach to you the whole, the whole doctrine, the whole counsel, the Bible says, of God, the whole counsel. Let's raise our hands to the Lord right now together. Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for each and every one that is here. And I pray that you would move greatly, strengthen us, be with us in every way. God, you're able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we think, ask, or hope. I ask, God, that you would help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to the person next to you.